Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Right now, big things are going on at Collective as we are finishing the work on our own 24-7 space with the plan to be open by Easter. Until then, you can continue to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We'd love for you to join us. God is moving at Collective and in the city of Frederick, so stay tuned so you can be up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved with what's next at Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. Next Sunday is opening day at Pegasus Court. Can you believe it? Yeah, (laughs) we've got like eight people here. They're all clapping really loud. Uh, For the first time in a year, we're actually gonna be able to worship inside together. And it's going to be in a completely new space. It's gonna be our space and it all feels so surreal. And I'm gonna talk more about what the past year has been like for us in next week's sermon. But for today, I wanna start by talking about what you can expect when you join us in person. This week, we put out a video explaining what Sundays will look like from parking to communion to kids' check-in. If you haven't seen it yet, you can watch it on Facebook or it's on our Connect page that you headed to earlier for your connection card. In this video, we shared how COVID is impacting everything we are doing and what we are doing to be safe. We want you to know that we are taking this seriously. We're gonna do our very best with our knowledge and resources to create the safest and best experience possible. We have talked to medical professionals, to daycares, to cleaning companies, and everything in between in order to create the systems that we will be using, and we feel confident in them. They will not be perfect, but they will be above the standards that the CDC is requiring. Like I said a few weeks ago, we aren't opening our doors because the space is done. It's not. Uh, We still have a few projects that we are working on, and they just won't be done by next weekend. In fact, the tech booth at the back of the auditorium is currently open because we ran out of pallet wood, and it's on back order. It's going to take about another month. But the reason we are getting back together is that we unequivocally know that just watching Collective Online isn't enough. It's not. You know that... The truth is, if you're being honest, you feel that. And over the past year, countless studies have been done that have shown us that mental health is plummeting. Spiritual health is plummeting. Divorces are up. Drug overdoses are up. Suicides are up. And Bible reading is down. And these these studies have told us what we already knew and what God has already taught us. And that is we are created to be in community and we are designed to do church together. And when we are worshiping, when we are serving, and when we are in God's word together, we are healthier, we are happier, we grow. So while we take COVID seriously, we also take mental health, spiritual health, and emotional health seriously. And we know that opening up our doors is a really big piece of that. And we know that some of you still aren't comfortable with being back yet, and that's fine. Each one of you has to make your own decision. I can't make that for you. But we just want you to know that we are here, our doors are open, and we want you to show up with all the baggage from this past year or years and let Jesus get to work on your soul. 
Now, one more thing about next week and the following weeks. There will only be about 125 seats available in the auditorium, so don't show up late. We've been starting service five minutes early for a whole year, so hopefully you're trained to show up a little bit earlier. But if the seats are full, we'll have overflow seating in the lobby where you can watch the service live on a television. So make sure to be here on time. We hope to see you next week. And if it's not next week, we hope to see you soon. Right now, we're in the final week of our series called Bad Lip Reading the Bible. And the goal of this series was to take some of the Christian phrases that you have heard over the course of your life and to fix them. Because while the phrases, everything happens for a reason, or Jesus says, don't judge, or God won't give you more than you can handle, can sound good, these phrases can be hurtful and detrimental to the faith of the people we're talking to, or even ourselves. And here's the thing, when it comes to the Bible and quoting scripture, if we get this wrong, people will walk away from God. And more importantly, they won't walk away from the real God, but from the God we have portrayed. A few years ago, Ray and I were hanging out with some friends whose dad owns a really popular wine restaurant in Columbia, Maryland. And as we were sitting in their backyard having dinner, they offered me some wine, but I declined. And I explained to them that I just don't like wine. To be honest, I have very strong opinions about lukewarm beverages, and I don't understand why people like to drink room temperature drinks, but I digress. But when I said that I didn't like wine, the whole family acted like I had just betrayed them. I honestly thought they were going to ask me to leave. But the dad spoke up and said the reason I didn't like wine was because I hadn't had good wine before. And he was very right. So a few weeks later, they brought us to the restaurant and they walked us through a wine pairing and it was amazing. Now, I still prefer a mule or a beer, but it changed how I view wine because it's not that wine doesn't taste good. It's just that I'd only had cheap versions of it. And here's my point. If people walk away from God, it's not because God did anything wrong. It's because we have given people a bad version of God a lukewarm, watered-down, cheap version of God. And one of the ways that we do that is when we bad-lip-read the Bible. And today we're talking about the most notorious bad-lip-reading of them all. It's written on graduation cards, quoted to encourage a person whose life is falling apart, doled out like a doctor explaining a prescription. Take Jeremiah 29, 11 a few times with a full glass of water and call me in the morning. Drake even wrote a song about it. It's all part of God's plan. What a comforting phrase, right? What a comforting verse in the Bible. Didn't get that job? It's all part of God's plan. Tried to buy the house, but got outbid? It's all part of God's plan. Girlfriend broke up with you before you were about to propose. It's all part of God's plan. Husband had an affair. It's all part of God's plan. Cancer, God's plan. Can't get pregnant, God's plan. Lost your job because of COVID. It's all part of God's plan. That addiction ruined your life. It's all part of God's plan. You see where I'm going with this, right? This phrase can bring peace when we use it for the small things in life. But imagine telling someone whose spouse just walked out on them, that it's okay because it's all part of God's plan. Who would want to follow that God? Why would you put your faith in a God whose plan was to hurt you? And we talked about this with the phrase, everything happens for a reason. 
It's not that God plans to hurt you, but that God can redeem that hurt, right? God can give purpose to your pain, but pain certainly was not a part of his plan. I mean, think about it. If the good things are a part of God's plan, it must mean the bad things are as well, but that doesn't make sense. So here's the first thing I need you to write down today. And this is really important. Pain wasn't a part of God's plan. It wasn't. God created the world free from pain. God created the world free from sin. And then he told Adam, there's just one rule. It says this in Genesis 2, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Putting it simply, eat the fruit and die. So Adam and Eve decided not to follow the one rule, and that is when sin entered the world. That is when brokenness entered the world. That is when pain entered the world. That was not a part of God's plan. That wasn't what God wanted for the world. God doesn't want you to hurt. So when you look at someone who is lost and broken, and you say it's all part of God's plan in regard to the crap they are going through, you are wrong. I'm putting it bluntly, their pain isn't a part of God's plan for them. Their pain is the result of a fallen world, one full of sin, one that God didn't intend. So in light of the understanding that pain isn't a part of God's plan, let's look at the verse that the phrase, it's all part of God's plan comes from, and let's figure out what God's plan actually is. The verse is in Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, I'm not gonna lie. I like the way that sounds. God's got a plan for me and they are good plans, plans that bring hope. One translation says it like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is actually the verse where the prosperity gospel gets its foundation. And if you don't know, the prosperity gospel is a group of ideas popular among more charismatic preachers that equate Christian faith with material and financial success. And that's bad lip reading the Bible, but that's a conversation for another time. And so when you simply read this verse, you can understand where people get the phrase, it's all part of God's plan from. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. God's got plans. But the issue is that what Christians often do is they choose to skip the verse right before it, which is pretty important. Check this out. This is what it says right before Jeremiah 29, 11. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again. Then he continues, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So what God is telling them is that, hey, you're, you're gonna be in exile for 70 years, but don't worry because I've got a plan for you. And this feels more like real life to me, right? I'm experiencing something I didn't want, didn't expect, didn't pray for, didn't ask for, 
but I will be okay because God hasn't forgotten about me. God's working on something. The problem is the plan isn't like an episode of MacGyver where God takes a rubber band, a paperclip, and a drinking straw and breaks them out of exile. That's not what the plan is. So what does this really mean? Well, let's start with the context of these verses because we need to let the Bible speak to us not allow our own personal bent to speak into scripture. And like Maggie said last week, context matters. So the person who wrote this verse is a prophet named Jeremiah. And a prophet is someone who hears from God then shares God's message with his people. So when Jeremiah is speaking, he's speaking to the Israelites who are being held captive by the Babylonians at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. So they are being held as slaves. Their city, Jerusalem, was captured and essentially destroyed, and their lives were turned upside down. There was so much turmoil in terms of emotional and physical stress among the Israelites during this time. And to make matters worse, there was a false prophet named Hananiah who gave false hope to the Jews regarding the prophecy of God. She actually told the Israelites that God promised to relieve the Jews of their suffering after only two years and then they would be able to come back home, which isn't true, right? God's saying 70, and Hananiah's saying two. Which one are you gonna lean toward? So based on the historical context of the verse and the major events that happened in the past, we can understand why Jeremiah says these words, right? His goal was to speak to God's people amidst hardship and suffering, right? God's people, the Israelites, were asking for an immediate rescue from their suffering, but Jeremiah had the huge responsibility of sharing God's words with them. So he shared God, God's message. And he said, this isn't an immediate answer. Rather, that God did have a plan for his people to prosper amidst hardships eventually. And the reason why this matters is because we can relate. Maybe we aren't in exile, but we know what it feels like to have our lives turned upside down. We know what it feels like to be stuck. We know what it feels like to cry out for help to God, right? We've been there or we're there right now. And even though this verse has been twisted for years, it still brings hope. And so here's the first thing that I wanna point out about this specific verse. Jeremiah wasn't speaking to one person, but an entire group of people. This verse does not apply to isolated individuals or to a broad community. It applies to both, together, functioning as one. These were God's plans for all his people. To put it in modern day context, these were God's plans for his church. And if we read on in the Bible, we find that the promise was actually fulfilled. Those in exile returned to the nation of Israel and were restored for a time. So God made a promise through the prophets and that promise came true. And so here's the second thing I want you to write down today. We are in this together. We are in this together. The image painted by this verse is one of individuals in community, right? Here are a bunch of people worshiping God together, hoping for future redemption, right? The future in Jeremiah that he talks about is one that's bright and one that everybody in the community was longing for, even though they were all impacted in different ways, and many of us want to desperately know the plan that God has for each one of us as individuals. But the prophet Jeremiah reminds us that it's not all about us. And even more important than our decision about what college to attend or what city to move to or what job offer to take is the future hope 
for God's people. In this way, the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 is bigger than any one of us because it's about a community. And when we decide to take this verse as a singular message to me in my pain, we miss the fact that we are not alone in our pain. And listen, I'm not trying to belittle what anyone is going through right now. That's not the point. The point is that God's plan to bring hope isn't just for me, but for all people. And I can't help but think the reason why Jeremiah delivered this message to an entire nation of Israel was so that as they heard it, they could look around and realize that they at least had each other, right? They had other people to count on. They had other people to support them. They had other people who could sit with them in their pit and empathize. So even though pain wasn't a part of God's plan, pain exists. And this verse is a reminder that we are not alone. And one of the reasons why the church exists is so that we can be a community that's in this together. Now, here's the second part of the verse that I wanna point out. And this is the most important piece. God's plan is redemption. Redemption literally means the action of saying or being saved from sin. But redemption also means the action of gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And both of these apply. God's plan was to save the Israelite people from their sin. His plan was to buy them back, to clear their debt. God is a God of redemption. That is his plan. One pastor said it like this. The prophet is speaking not just to historical redemption for that period of time, but also future redemption. Jeremiah is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, right? Because God would save the Israelites from exile, but then he would actually send the one who could save their souls. I went to a small Christian school, and when I was a senior in college, I remember having conversations almost every day about what people were going to do after graduation. And it didn't matter who I talked to, I would always hear, I just need to figure out God's plan for my life, or I'm sure God's got a plan for me. And the truth is, he does. He does have a plan, and it is a plan that will give you hope. But it doesn't really have anything to do with your career after college. Right? God isn't sitting in heaven playing chess with your life. This isn't about God creating a very intricate Rube Goldberg life machine to where everything is mapped out and you don't have a say. Yes, God is almighty. Yes, God is all-knowing. But God does not plan out your life from A to Z. You see, this verse isn't about God forcing your steps. It's about redemption. God's plan was to redeem the people of Israel. It was to rescue them. God, God's plan has nothing to do with your next big decision. It has everything to do with your soul. God's plan is to give you the opportunity to experience freedom. And he fulfilled that plan by sending Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, he, meaning God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased, he bought, he redeemed our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Galatians 1 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. Galatians 3, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. 
God's plan was to rescue us, to save us from our sin, to give us grace, to give us endless second chances, to give us a church where we can belong, a church where we know that we aren't alone in the peaks and valleys of life. God's plan was to redeem marriages, to redeem friendships, to redeem faith, to redeem parenting. That was God's plan, and that is what gives us hope, that God saw us in our imperfection, in our sin, in our mess, one that we created for ourselves through our own selfishness and our own lack of trust in him. And God created a way out for us. And that when we accept that plan, that we put our faith in him, that's when we begin to prosper and have a future. Now, it doesn't mean things will be easy. Remember, the Israelites were in exile for 70 years. It just means that their hope wasn't in their current circumstances, but in their future eternity. So if you follow Jesus, this verse is the reminder that your forgiveness was a part of God's plan. Your salvation, your soul was his plan. And when you put your faith in him, that is when you truly receive a future and a hope because it's found in Jesus, not in what this world has to offer. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm sure a piece of you was hoping that today would be about an actual plan from God, right? That you could just take a step back and God would pick up your piece and move you to the next square. And I understand your desire for that, but that isn't the way a relationship with God works. God will nudge you, God will guide you. God will even show you through prayer and scripture and community, the directions he wants you to go in but you still have to do it. You have to take the steps forward. So while some of you might be looking for this long drawn out plan, God's plan was to send Jesus to earth so that you could be saved, so that you could be forgiven, redeemed. And in just a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate our first baptism during a church service at Pegasus Court as we celebrate Amanda who's getting baptized today. And Amanda's story is incredible, and I'm gonna share a little bit about it. Amanda grew up in, a, in the church, but felt like she experienced a lot of judgment. And the judgment from the early church experience left her feeling disconnected from church as a whole. In her late teens and early 20s, she shared that she didn't have a relationship with God and she ended up living recklessly. And she regrets the way that she treated herself and others during that time. Over the past five years, she's worked on turning her life around and aligning it with God. And she's come to the realization that relying on God has provided her with the mental, mental health stability that she didn't have before and that the saying, everything happens for a reason, was never able to give her. She knows that the things may be out of her hands in life, but she trusts that God is in control and that aligning her life with God doesn't make things perfect, but it has a good track record so far. She wants to keep that up. And so Amanda is taking her next step as she continues to align her life with God and letting him be the leader of her life. And as we celebrate Amanda in a few minutes, if you are ready to take that step for your own life, what we want you to do is check off the baptism box in your connection card so that we can have a conversation with you. So it's all part of God's plan. And God's plan is to love you. God's plan is to rescue you. God's plan is to give you hope. 
God's plan is to save you. God's plan is redemption. And that is a good plan that gives you a future and a hope. Let's pray. God, sometimes, sometimes we just want you to tell us what we're supposed to do with our lives. God, we want you to move us to the next piece and then the next piece and the next piece because it's easier. And God, we don't understand why you don't do that. But God, we're so thankful that part of your plan is redemption, to, to buy us back, to save us. God, that part of your plan is to help heal marriages. God, that part of your plan is to help heal relationships. God, that part of your plan is to help heal us. And God, even though we don't understand it, what we do know is that it's so much better than what we're asking for, than what we're longing for. So God, we don't deserve it, but we are so thankful that we are a part of your plan. God, that when we are in our mess, when we are in the exiles of our life, you're thinking about us. God, you care about us. You're trying to figure out how to tell us there's something better for us when we put our faith in you and we finally trust you. And God, I, I pray for anybody who's listening today that's kind of felt stuck waiting for you to pull them out. God, I hope they realize that you're waiting for them just to take that step. God, that the lifeline is already there. The next step is already there. They just have to move. God, thank you that you love us. Um, thank you that your plan was to give us grace, uh, something so much better than what we deserve. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.